feelings are mutual. This has been a tremendous blessing to Amanda and I this week. I really, I cannot think of an opportunity that I've had like this in recent memory, if ever. This, this may be one of the more encouraging gospel meetings, actually, that I've ever been part of, and I, I'm honest, of course, when I say that. Um, thank you. Thank you for inviting us to come. I was honored to be asked and to have the extra blessing of getting to know all of you. Uh, I know we've met before, but to get to know you even better. Many of you we've already met before. Yeah, just a tremendous blessing. Uh, we love all of you and appreciate you. And then to have addition you know, to the Lord's family uh, this week, Rain and his decision, I mean, we just had an awesome week and maybe even more blessings to come. But tonight, it's interesting. I had no idea what was going to happen this week. I had no idea uh, some of the things that you all would be telling me about God's providence that you have seen. But way back before we ever got here, I was already planning on preaching about the providence of God. Uh, and so it almost makes me think it's the providence of God that I'm speaking on this subject tonight. But I'll give you some examples of God's providence in just a few minutes. As we study tonight, something that I find very interesting, and personally, I have never heard very many sermons on this topic. So I hope that we can benefit from this and grow in knowledge and and be encouraged. Uh, this is, to me, I wanted to end with this sermon because this information is really encouraging to me, and I think it will be really encouraging to you. And as we study this, we'll notice three points. Introduction, information, and inquiries. So we begin with the introduction and trusting in God means that we trust him to give us what we need. And I'm just going to qualify who this is that we're talking about here. This is talking about faithful children of God. Now, as we're going to notice, that doesn't mean that God does not give many blessings to those who are not faithful children of God. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. God has given us such things as, number one, physical life. Last night, one of the things I mentioned is that we would not be here or there or anywhere. We would not be here now or at any time at all if it were not for our Creator. And many people, I'm afraid, don't even think about that part. Maybe we're so focused on what we can get and you know, the future and things like that, then maybe we don't even realize that we would not even have been conceived at all without God. But also, he has offered us eternal life through, of course, his son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a life completely free from sin, and yet suffered because of our sins, Isaiah 53. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and many other verses. And of course, not only did he die for us, 
shed his blood to purchase his church, Acts 20, 28. But, of course, he was raised from the grave on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul said, I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, the gospel. So, I'm hoping you're already familiar with that. I think most of us are. But in the body of Christ, according to Ephesians 1, 3, we have something that the Holy Spirit describes as spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I'll just go ahead and say, of course, the way you get in to Christ is found in two places in the New Testament. If I were to take my Bible app and search for the phrase into Christ, it's going to give me one verse in the whole Bible. And it's going to be Galatians 3.27. And it's going to say, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If I take that same Bible app and I search for into Jesus Christ, I only get one verse. And it's Romans 6, 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism. So that's where we get into Christ and that's when we get into the body of the saved. So you see we've studied that quite a bit this week. Now, God has also given us something without which we could not be saved. The Word of God. The Word of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, the scriptures, we should be eternally grateful for the holy scriptures, because without these, we would not know how to get into Christ. We would not know about Christ at all. But thanks be to God that he has provided us with his precious word, which is able to save our souls. James 1.21, James 1.18, Acts 20, verse 32, and many other verses talk about the power of God's word for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power in Romans 16, 1.16, it comes from a Greek word, and I, I don't want to get bogged down in the Greek language, but this is interesting. Dunamis. That's the Greek word for the word translated as power. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. Dynamite. I said dynamite like uh, the guy on TV, dynamite, okay? So we could say, if we're going to translate it that way, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dynamite of God unto salvation, just for sake of illustration. So the written word of God, an amazing, amazing blessing. But I've got a question for you to consider tonight. I don't want you to speak out. I just want you to think about it. 
a lot of times we put a lot of focus on the word of God and rightfully so we're supposed to preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and not 2 Timothy 4.2 so I, I am not taking anything away from the word of God okay but here's a question a lot of times in the Lord's church do we put so much emphasis on the word only, the word only, the word only, that maybe we're missing something? Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a false doctrine out there that's very dangerous. Uh, it's called the direct operation of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you have never even heard of that phrase before. But it's a very prevalent false teaching out there that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. It leans towards a doctrine called Calvinism where there's this idea that you don't have free will, really. If God chooses to save you, it's not going to be because you chose to learn the Word of God and chose to obey it yourself. They say it's because God says, well, I want him to be saved. So, Holy Spirit zap him and he's going to be saved it's as if God arbitrarily chooses whom he wants to be saved and does not want to be saved without getting into all that sound faithful preachers of God's word for years and years and years have hammered into our brains that the word only we're saved by the word only. That God affects the heart of the human, the mind of the human through his word only. I'm not saying that is wrong. What I am saying is, I wonder if that has caused us to come to a conclusion that is actually unscriptural. Let me explain. If God does nothing for us, at all outside of his written word then why are we praying and asking him to give us something like our daily bread why are we praying for the sick to get better something to think about the power to save our souls you know where that is is right here it's in this book but this book tells me to pray to my Father. This book tells me that if I pray and I ask in faith, and it's according to His will, He hears me, and I will have the petition which I have asked of Him. And the way I see it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's God doing something that's it's spoken of in the Word of God, and it's authorized, of course, it's in harmony with God's will revealed in His Word. But some of the blessings I get from God are not from me simply reading the Scripture. It's not necessarily because I read a verse. It's because God, in His providence, answered my prayer. Do you see, see the difference here? So, of all the things God gives us, what about this? What about providential blessings? 
What about answers to prayers? And I'm afraid in the Lord's church, we have become afraid to say that God has done something for me. That God actually heard my prayer and answered my prayer and has blessed me and I am thankful to Him for what He has done for me. Thank you, God, for all of your blessings. Are we ashamed to say that? Are we ashamed to praise God out loud or to thank Him aloud? If so, why would we be? I have an idea about that. And it may be that we have become afraid to say things like that because we think somebody's going to think we sound like somebody in the denomination. So we just don't talk like that. We don't say, you know, thank God, please, literally, thank God for all these blessings. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, I give you thanks. In the Bible, I read about people when wonderful things happen, they said out loud, in front of everybody. They gave glory to God in front of everybody. And I'm here to tell you, God deserves my thanks. God deserves my verbal praise. He deserves all the glory I can give Him as long as I'm not doing anything outside the authority of His holy, precious Scriptures. Now, I'm not encouraging anybody to say or do anything that is not authorized by the Word of God. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3, 17. But I am cautioning us as members of the Lord's church to be careful that we don't allow the fear of men, even if it's our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we don't allow the fear of what men may think to cause us to refrain from ever giving credit to God. You know, when I was sick Sunday morning, I really didn't know if I was going to be able to make it. Sunday morning to preach this meeting that I've been so excited about. <coughs> and it was really bothering me bad. And I sent a text, which I knew, I knew Greg, I told Greg about it. And because he's been my main contact with the congregation this whole thing. But I sent a text to all the men of the Baker congregation. And I said, Brothers, I am sick. And I really need to teach and preach this morning. Please say a prayer for me. Before I got to this building, I felt a whole lot better. I don't really understand why. That's, I, I have an idea of why, but under natural circumstances, I can't explain it. I'm not talking about supernatural. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
I'm just saying, without God's help, without God answering prayers, I would not be able to explain it. You know what? My stomach really, you know, it's been bothering me all week, but I've been here to preach because God allowed me to. And I told y'all this that morning. I said, God answered prayers. That's why I'm here. Because God answered the prayers. That's why. You know what James 1 17 says? Every, every good gift. And every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know what that tells me? If I ever have a blessing in my life of any kind, I'm going to thank my Father for it. I'm going to do it in a way that he authorizes, but I'm going to thank him for it unless for some reason I fail to do that. But even in my mind, that is my intention. Paul said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5. Yes, that's right. In everything that happens, if you are a child of God, you still have something for which you can be thankful. Literally, I don't care what happens on this earth. And there can be some terrible things on this earth, but if you are a child of God, you've still got things for which you can be thankful. The word providence is defined in the dictionary as the care or benevolent guidance of God. The English word comes from the Latin providere, which in turn is made of two words, pro, which means before, the deer, which means to see, thus to foresee. The corresponding Greek word is pronoia, which means forethought. Thus the idea to see before, which expresses the idea of foresight and forethought, implies a future end or goal with a definite purpose and plan for sustaining that end. All that's pretty complicated. Let's just make it simple. There it is right there. Provide. If you are a child of God, you know what Matthew 6.33 says, most of you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto him. What things, Jesus? Everything you need. It may not be everything you want. Sometimes our wants are not even what's best for us anyway. But everything you need, you'll have it. And even if you die, or maybe I should say when, because it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. But even when you die, the Spirit returns unto God who gave it. God's going to take care of you. Eternal. But now we do have to understand the difference between providence and miracles. 
between natural and supernatural. So, for example, God miraculously provided bread falling down from heaven for 40 years to the Israelites in the wilderness called manna. But when Jesus taught his disciples to say, give us this day our daily bread, do you think he was asking, telling us to ask God for bread to fall from heaven? No. God can and does provide blessings in non-miraculous ways. In fact, throughout history, if you think about it, we haven't talked much about miracles this week, but throughout history, if you think about it, really there's, there's three main periods when miracles were taking place. Miracles were not taking place left and right all throughout the Old Testament. Mainly we think about First of all, the time of Moses. The ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, all those amazing things, God turning bitter water to sweet, bringing water from the rock, and all those amazing things that happened during the time of Moses. That's one of those three periods. But if you think about it, and you think about Old Testament history, if you're familiar with it, you don't really read of a whole lot of just amazing miracles after they got into the promised land, generally speaking. When Joshua led the Israelites in the promised land, of course, when the priests buried the Ark of the Covenant, when they stepped toward the Jordan, in the Jordan, the waters were pulled back, and God held back the waters so that Israel could cross over into the promised land. That's true. But after that, you know, the walls of Jericho, but that general time with Moses and Joshua, that's kind of a separate time. It's way on down the timeline until we get to Elijah and Elisha before you start reading about miracles happening back to back to back to back again. And then after Elijah and Elisha, you don't really read of miracles happening back to back to back to back over and over again. Really, until the coming of our Lord. So my point is this. It's not like, oh, God has always done miracles just left and right all the time. No. And God told us once we got the complete system of revelation that all that was going to be done away. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12, and many other verses. So that's not really what we're talking about so much. But we do need to understand the difference between these things. And so here is another reason why I think we don't give credit to God. What if I say something and somebody thinks I'm saying God is doing a miracle? So I'm just not going to say anything at all. <clears throat> or what if they think I'm sounding like so-and-so denomination if I say something like that? You're not saying he did a miracle. But you can give God credit and glory and thanks whenever you get one of those good and perfect gifts that he provides. Any kind of blessing, ultimately, you would not have gotten it without him, you see. And even things that you work for yourself. Somebody might say, yeah, but I, I worked hard to get that house. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it is God that gives you power to get wealth. It, it all goes back to him. 
Psalm 50 says he owns the cattle upon a thousand hills. Thousand is one of those figurative numbers, by the way. Complete. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24, it all belongs to him. You wouldn't have anything. You would not exist, remember? So don't allow things like that to deter you. And if, if you were here last night, you know that I'm not advocating denominationalism by any means. And we have to speak as the oracles of God. Yes, that's true. But let's be careful that we don't go to some extreme that doesn't even make sense. Something that is taking something away from God that he deserves, that belongs to him. I've heard, this is a little silly, but I think it gets the point across. Someone said, well, you know, when we gather to worship, we we got to stop coming through the front door. And they said, what? We, we can't come. Through. Yeah, we got to come through the back door now. And they say, why? Well, because all those denominational churches, they go through the front door. And we don't want to be like them. So we got to go through the back. You see how silly this can get. Just because some... Even if it's a man-made church, if just because they do X, that does not prove that X is wrong. They may believe some things and do some things that actually may be right. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. Does that mean, oh, we don't need to believe Jesus is the Son of God because they do? You see, this can get ridiculous. Be careful that we don't, in our zeal, start binding where God is not bound or take something away from God that ought to be given to God. Providence employs a supernatural source via a natural means, while a miracle used both a supernatural source and a supernatural means. Brother Flavel Eakley Jr. Brother Homer, Homer Haley said, Providence is the working of God through his provision in the natural and spiritual realms and yet it is a control that violates neither the sovereignty of the human will nor the divine, natural, and spiritual laws. Now, as we said, many blessings are given to all unconditionally. There are people out there who don't even believe God is real. And yet they're being blessed by God still in some ways. Not spiritual blessings that are only in Christ. But physical blessings, and like I said, the sunshine and the rain, Matthew 5, 45, and so forth. These other scriptures would also apply to that. However, there is a special providence for the faithful child of God. He has, the faithful child of God, he has God's ear in a special way. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. 1 Peter 3.12 God sees his son or daughter that's doing their best to serve him and they're obedient to him and if they stumble they repent and they beg for forgiveness sincerely in the name of Jesus Christ and when they call out to their father in need he's ready. His ears are open. He sees that need and he hears that request and if it's according to his will, it's going to be done. Special providence is when God provides his obedient children what they need and not necessarily what they want. 
Now, when it comes to prayer, we need to remember that God, in His infinite knowledge, knows the potential outcome of every possible scenario. And we do not. So, somebody may pray a prayer, and they got a no instead of a yes, so to speak. And they're like, I know it was supposed to be a yes, but it was a no. I, did you hear that? I know it was supposed to be. Wait a minute. Father knows this. He says, but my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways higher than your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 89. Let's not be so quick to assume that we know what is best all the time. And a mother with a 20-year-old son, if he gets in a, let's say he's, uh, he's driving drunk and he hits a tree. Well, let's say he's, they call her and she doesn't know what's happened and says, ma'am, your son's been in a, in a terrible accident. Well, if she's Christian, she's going to start praying. And she's probably going to ask everybody she knows, please pray for my son. All I know right now is that he's been in a terrible accident. Please go to God in prayer on his behalf. And so everybody does. But then she gets another call and they say, he passed away. And she's like, she may be angry at God. Well, number one, death is an inevitable part of this world. We can pray to God to live forever and never die, but that's not His will because it is appointed unto men once to die. And nobody knows when anybody's going to die. Different people die at different times, different ages. You never know. That's why you've always got to be ready and do what God has told you to do. To be ready. But not every situation is like this, but I'm just going to give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say God allows that young man to live. And five years later, Something happens and he's he's drinking again. And this time instead of hitting a tree, he hits a car and kills a family of four people. Maybe he himself dies and now there's five people gone instead of one. Or maybe he lives from that first accident and he later on you know, the mother may say, God, if you would have let him live, he could have been a member of the church. Maybe he would have been converted. Maybe he would have been faithful. God knows whether he would have or not, for one thing. I don't pretend to know everything in the mind of God, but you got to remember, we don't know everything. He does. He knows all this. But the man who became a member of the church, let's say he survived the wreck, became a member of the church, Maybe 10 years later, 
he decides, I'm through with this. I'm leaving the church, and I'm going to take as many of you with me as I can. And maybe he pulls three or four souls away on their way to hell. Well, we don't know all of this. You see, this is total speculation on our part. And we it's, it's not even profitable. It's not even profitable to dwell on, well, this. what if this could have happened? Or what if that could have Listen, you do what you can do. You serve God to the best of your ability and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. Leave all that to God. Leave all that to God. You do your best to serve Him and you put your faith in Him and that's all you can do and that's all He expects you to do. But don't get caught up in an unanswered prayer and let it discourage you. God knows who will choose to obey Him and who will choose to disobey. He's shown it time and time again. But surely that foreknowledge has an impact on His providential actions. Whether He answers a prayer or not, sometimes maybe because He knows what would have happened if He would have said yes or what would have happened if He would have said no. Again, and it's not really profitable for us to try to figure out all this stuff. We cannot do it. Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wills. Someone might say, well, God can do anything. So why didn't he do X? Why didn't he do Y? Why didn't he do Z? God can do anything. Actually, you know what? In a sense, all things are possible, but in another sense, no, all things are not possible. God cannot lie. Titus 1-2. There are some things God just will not do. He cannot do. And it's not for me to be the judge of God. And he, I love you, and I mean no disrespect, but it's not for you. It's not your place to be the judge of God, what he does and what he does not do. But I guarantee you this, whatever he did, it was right. And it was for the best. And you may not understand it now. Maybe you will in eternity. Maybe if we'll be faithful to him, maybe he will clear up things that maybe you've wondered about. But all that doesn't matter right now. What matters right now is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. You serve him faithfully and trust in him to take care of you and to take you into heaven when everything's over. Like I said, if we ask anything according to his will, the thing is, we don't always know what God's will is. Somebody said, well, yeah, now, Jason, we, we know what God's will is. We know what God's will is. Okay, well, let me ask you this. You got a job opportunity in Mobile, but you've also got a job opportunity in Pensacola. 
and you really are not sure which one of these jobs you should take. They both look about the same. Which one of them is God's will? You don't know. So if it were me, I'd pray to God. Pray, God, I have a very important decision I need to make for my family. I need, I need to go to a place that would be best. God, please give me wisdom to make the best decision that will be that will enable me to serve you as best I can. That's number one priority should be. And to take care of my family or whatever those priorities are that are in accordance with his will. And then you trust in him to help you to do that. And I don't know about you, but when that when I do that, I see the doors open. But you've got to ask in faith. James says, you ask in faith, nothing wavering. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now that's interesting. You ask God for something, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, he's not really listening, or he's not going to do that, or this is such a minimal thing to him, he's not concerned about that, or whatever. If you don't believe in your father and his love for you and your concern in everything, you know what it says in Philippians 4, 6? It literally says, everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. There's a contrast here between nothing and everything. Be anxious for 0%, but let 100% of your needs be made known unto God. And then what happens in verse 7? And the peace. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Christians who really have the faith that God wants them to have, they can weather storms that a lot of people are like, how did you do that? I mean, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I'm not afraid to die. Because, not because of me, but because of him. And so I have a peace. You should have a peace that passes most people's understanding because no matter what happens, you believe, you trust that your Father is going to take care of you and bless you. But if you don't have that trust, don't expect to be blessed. And if you're asking half-heartedly, well, God has an intentional will, number one. Things that would ideally occur. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us where 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God would have all men to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. That's what he wants. But is that what's actually going to happen? Not according to Jesus. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The way is straight and narrow which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Why? Because God loved you and me enough to give us free will. God loved you enough to say, Jason, I, I'm not going to force you to go to heaven. If you don't want to, you don't have to. If you don't choose to love me and serve me, you don't have to. But he also says, but now you are going to have to give an account for the choices you've made. I'm just telling you that ahead of time. There is going to be a reckoning. There is going to be a time of judgment. But because God loves us, by the way, did you know that you could not love God if you didn't have free will? Have you ever thought about that before? The greatest commandment in the whole Bible is to love God. That's what he wants from you more than anything else. And yet, if you were a robot, you couldn't do it. You would be programmed just to go, you know, left or right or whatever, you, you would not have the choice. Would you want to be married to somebody who was forced to marry you just because they had no other choice? Or would you want to be married to somebody who chose to love you and cherish you until death do you part? I think that's a pretty easy answer. A question to answer? Well, guess what? God is love. The love that you feel, God is love. He knows all of that. But he wants you to love him, and you could not do that unless you had a choice. God also has an ultimate will. And no matter what you do and no matter what I do, nothing's going to change it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You can't change it. I can't either. But there's also something else. A circumstantial view. This is really interesting because God may permit or refuse to allow something to happen based on the circumstances. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God toward them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. See, that if is a condition. If you want to remain in God's goodness, then you've got to continue in His goodness. And if you don't, then that changes the circumstances. And so now, God's will, or what will happen, is different. Let's put it that way. James 4, he says, You have not because you ask not. 
God is waiting to bless you with X, Y, or Z. He's waiting to bless you, but you won't even ask Him for it. You're not acknowledging that every blessing comes from Him. You think you're the one doing all this. And so because you're so self-reliant, and because you're so independent, then why don't you see if you can just get it for yourself? But if you will show God, God, I depend on you. You are my provider. Every single thing I have is because of you. God, if it's your will, please let this come to pass. It's his will. It comes to pass. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. And it works. Did you the last two words? It works. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5, 16. Do you believe it or not? <laughs> We're supposed to be people of faith. I believe it. I, I'm telling you, I do not have an ounce of doubt in my mind. God the Father loves us and He wants to bless us. He will take care of us according to his will. Now, exactly how and when does that happen? We could say the same thing that Mordecai said. Really, who knoweth? Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? But, you know what? It may just be that God's going to use you. I know that's talking about history. But that could be applied to us in a way that's authorized by God because that's what we see in the New Testament Scriptures also. We're going to talk a little bit more about it right now, so I won't say too much about that. But really, really, God can use you individually. He sees you. He sees your talents. You're going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account. Not for necessarily, I'm not talking about a congregation as a collectively in this example. What I'm talking about is you as a person. He can use you as a person, individual. And so Mordecai is saying to Esther as an individual, God might use you in this to do something amazing. And sure enough, he did. Paul said perhaps in Philemon 15. It's like he's saying perhaps it was God's providence while this slave had escaped, he became a brother in Christ. And he came right back. Perhaps this was all somehow God's providence. Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Romans 11, 33. You've heard the phrase, God works in mysterious ways. That's a true statement. It's not a direct quote from the Bible, but I think you can pretty much base it off of this verse right here. His ways are past finding out. He works in mysterious ways, but he, you know what? He's working. His ways 
are not dormant. This is implying that he's doing things. He's active in this world. Information. Throughout the Bible, you see God's providence. In the lives of Isaac and Rebekah, that whole chapter where God has sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, you see God's providence just all through that chapter. Genesis 24, the life of Joseph, can you think of a better example? Really, there's hardly a better example of God's providence in the whole Bible than the life of Joseph. The life of Ruth, lives of Hannah and Samuel, she prayed to God for a son. God heard her prayer and he answered her prayer. The lives of the writings of David, the life and writings of David, the writings of Solomon. We've already talked about some of that. The life of Hezekiah, this is interesting. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah is told, you're about to die. Guess what he does? He prays to God. He prays to God, and God says, okay, you've got 15 more years. What if he had not prayed? He would have died. Apparently. I mean, that's what's implied. And yet he asked God in one prayer, apparently, and he got 15 years added to his life. That's powerful. Now, so let me ask you, do you believe that prayer can change the future? Because I do. I believe that the prayer of a righteous person can change many things. Not because of the power of the person, but because of the power of God through his providence. And if we don't believe that, something is, is wrong with us. I'm telling you, something's wrong. We're not thinking as the Bible speaks. The life of Esther, the whole book. The teachings of Jesus, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. The Ethiopian, Cornelius, and the Macedonians. This is important right here. I'm going to stop right here for just a second. I'm almost done. But I'm going to stop right here for just a second. Because somebody's going to say, yeah, but Jason, there were some miraculous things going on here. And I can see that is true. But you know what this is? These are lost people who have good soil. These are people who have good hearts and they're not saved yet. And yet, God has blessed them to get to the point where he can get somebody there to teach them the truth. And once this good-hearted man right here heard what he needed to do to be saved, he obeyed. How did that happen? God sent a godly man to him. God sent the preacher, the evangelist, Philip, to this man and through God's providence, God provided a way for the Ethiopian to hear and learn the truth so he could obey it. And then we could say similar things. You know, the Macedonian call in Acts 16 and Cornelius 
God looked at Cornelius and he saw a religious man. He saw a man who had a good heart. He saw a man who was uh, praying and, and doing all these things. And God provided a way for him to hear the truth and to obey it. And so what I'm saying is God can actually bless people before they even become converted. I'm not talking about spiritual blessings. I'm talking about if there's a good soul out there seeking the truth, God can provide in His providence a way for that person to find the truth. It's talking about wisdom in Proverbs 8, 17. Wisdom personified. But it says, those who seek me diligently shall find me. Kind of reminds me of Hebrews 11.6. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so, even before the Ethiopian was converted, he's really receiving a blessing just to get God to send somebody to him. You see, that was a blessing in and of itself. Just to get him the opportunity to hear I was having a Bible study not too long ago, and someone was saying, yeah, if water baptism is necessary, well, you know, what if, what if there's no water close by? And we had just been talking about somebody in the hospital, and the person I was studying with, they said that they believed that God could cause that person to get better if he wanted to, if it was God's will. Listen, yeah, that's true. And God can help that person get to the water in his providence too. God is helping these people, if you will, before they were converted. God in his providence, if he chose to do so, if it's according to his will, he could give that person an opportunity to get to the water if it's his will. I'm not saying that God is a respecter of persons. But I'm saying his ways are past finding out. And we don't need to assume that we've, that we've got it all figured out. Paul, you think about all the situations Paul was in and how God was taking care of him. Yeah, there were some miraculous events there. But many times it was not anything miraculous. The writings of James. And what about this? You know... God ruleth in the kingdoms of men. Daniel 4.25. Someone says, that's an Old Testament verse. Okay. Well, the powers that be are ordained of God. Romans 13.1 teaches the same thing. That's New Testament. But my question is, did God do that in a miraculous way or a non-miraculous way? So you got a king on a throne and does God <coughs> miraculously lift him up out of that throne, move him over somewhere else, and then take another person and sit him down on that throne miraculously? That's not how this works. God does it, but he does it in mysterious ways. He's got his own ways that he does this, and his ways are past finding out. Romans 11.33 If God said he does it, then he does it. How does he do it? We may not know. We don't know all the answers to that. Just like Paul said. 
and many other places throughout the Bible. So I got some questions for us. Really quickly. If God's not doing anything for us today, why would we constantly be giving him thanks for all things? And why would we even be praying for him at praying to him at all? Asking him to help the city get better and things like that. Or praying for government leaders like 1 Timothy 2 tells us to. Where does the Bible say that prayers would become ineffective after the miraculous age? In any passage talking about the ceasing, the cessation of miracles, is there ever any hint that, oh, by the way, once that ends, you might as well just stop praying? There's nothing like that. Because providential blessings are something that will continue even after the miraculous age had ended. If God's not answering prayers, where's the peace and care that he promised to all of his followers, you see. If I want the best for my children, doesn't my father want the same for me? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7 to deliver. If God can create and uphold the universe, can he not take care of little old me, as the saying is? He can take care of you. He can take care of me. He upholds this whole universe. He can surely take care of my little needs. If God did not spare his own son because of his love for you, how can you doubt that he wants to take care of you? If we believe the God of the Bible because of all the evidences, such as the prophecies, scientific foreknowledge, total accuracy, etc., will we not believe what God says regarding prayer? Christians can pray for things such as forgiveness. We've got that blessing. That's a blessing right there. We can pray to God and get forgiveness because we've been baptized to wash away our sins like He commanded us. Strength, boldness, opportunities, daily necessities, wisdom, uh, praying for other Christians, government leaders, and all men, and really anything that may be bothering us. 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, casting some of your care, no, casting all, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. If we don't cast our cares upon him, is it because we doubt that he cares for us? We should be doing that. I've heard a member of the church say before that, well, she didn't want to bother God with her trivial needs. And I understand that there's a little bit of nobility in that perhaps, but it doesn't change the fact that that's not what God told us to do. And when I go to my Heavenly Father in prayer, I am acknowledging my dependence on Him. I am thanking him for all of my blessings. I'm showing him my love, and that's what he wants. He said it over and over and over again. God wants you and me tonight to, number one, obey the gospel of Christ so that we can become his children by being born of water and of the Spirit, John 3, 5. 
And of course, that's after you have believed the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, repented of your sins, Acts 17, 30, confessed your faith.